Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Broke College Kids. If you're joining us here for the first time, my name is Max Johansson. I'm one of the co-hosts. To my right, we got Aiden Corbett. And then Eric LaShawns is the man behind the cameras making the videos happen. Thank you, Eric. We got an exciting guest lined up today for you guys. Right now, we're at Station 16 Fire Department. Our guest today is a lieutenant with the Portland Fire and Rescue. He was among four firefighters in Portland to go to New York City after the 9-11 attacks to help out with the Ground Zero mission. And you can call him a hero within the Portland community. Please help us welcome Neil Martin. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for being here, bud. So definitely an upgrade from our last one because we had my dad on last time. So <laughs> it's a little bit better. We'll see about that. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, so Neil, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing Pretty good. good. Excited. Right. Yeah. So we kind of like to have the guests kind of give the okay. background of this of themselves, um, kind of their upgrade, upbringing, where you're from. Um, so yeah, I guess we can start. Where are you okay. from? Where do you come from? I uh, actually come from uh, Hilo, Hawaii, on the Big Island, and I moved here in. Uh, in the late 80s, that's where I met uh, your dad at the Mac Club, actually. Uh, I came, moved to Portland to go to Portland State, played a little football there. I was a defensive back and um, got hired with the Portland Fire Bureau in uh, 1995. Um, so I've been here ever since. Sweet. But uh, yeah, born and raised in Hilo, Hawaii. Absolutely. So what made you decide to come to Portland from Hawaii? You know, I actually had a, uh, my, my parents were divorced, and so as kids, we would visit my dad in the summer times in Portland and uh, and in my senior year in high school um, I kind of wanted a different experience and then I was getting in Hawaii people yeah. think I was crazy but I, I just wanted to live with my dad for my senior year and so I moved to Portland my senior year in high school went to Madison High School um, went there for a semester Played football for Madison. We won the PLO champ championship in mm-hmm. 1985. Wow. Yeah, so, huh? Anyways, that's where my connection was that I got uh, recruited by Portland State was because I was a local kid from Portland. Mm-hmm. And w- actually went back to Hilo to graduate. So I ended up graduating with my uh, friends that I grew up with. But for the first uh, semester of my senior year, I went to Madison High School here in Portland. That was my – Sweet. Yeah. I do feel like there's something about Oregon that we don't appreciate. Like, my dad's from Maryland, and he's, like, just the green and everything here. Like, it attracts a certain crowd of people. That's a good question. Yeah, it it was – especially because when you think about – you know, we we always think about – everyone thinks about the weather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the grays that we have for months. You know, but there is – there is such – so much natural beauty – in the city and there's such diversity with you know we have a coastline we have mountains yeah. you know we have a lot of greenery like you said and just the uh the culture of the city was really what attracted me it was kind of a melting pot but people are pretty friendly for the uh, very friendly um, community and also yeah just so much to do and the diversity of the state within and the city is it's a, it's a huge attraction yeah it's, it's especially a guy from hawaii Everybody thinks, why are you so crazy to move from Hawaii? Yeah. And I, I guess I was. <laughs> Looking back at it. But it's, it's such a different kind of paradise here yeah. in the Pacific Northwest that I've learned to appreciate. You yeah. saw family in Hawaii back then? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Still do. 
And you said you played at Portland State mm-hmm. for football. Mm-hmm. Yep. What position did you play? Uh, safety. Safety? Yeah. So were you playing football in high school, obviously? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, so also, and that's kind of what I came up for was uh, to, pl- to, to get – so I wanted to play in a, a different environment than I was norm- than I grew up with in Hawaii. So my dad was living here, and I had, we had a connection here. So, I, so that's kind of what brought me uh, to Oregon, and I kind of wanted to play on the mainland and just to kind of see how I, how I stacked up you know yeah with the talent up here and it was a different experience and i'm glad i did it and yeah. it was a good grow, growing experience for me as a you know 16 year old kid leaving everything i was comfortable with and going to a whole different environment which yeah it was. it was very different and for personal growth it was it was great for me no friends or anything here no, uh-uh. so you came Jeez. just by yourself yeah just came by myself lived oh. with my dad and uh and you guys all played sports, so being part of a sports team will integrate you into a, yeah, a community you get real friends. quick. Yeah. yeah, And so that helped. And yeah. uh, being the new kid all of a sudden from Hawaii was pretty cool. Yeah, know? I'm sure people <laughs> loved it. But oh. you know, I thought for personal growth, I'm glad I did it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because you can get, especially being on an island, you can just kind of get your comfort zone and never grow past that. Not that it's a sure. bad thing, but for me, I wanted to experience more. Right. So yeah. you graduate from Portland State. Mm-hmm. What kind of happens after that? So I always wanted to be in the fire service. Um, I grew up in Hawaii. My uncle was a firefighter, ended up being a battalion chief in Hawaii County. And I was interested in that kind of work because of, you know, it's a physical work and it's working in the team atmosphere. And it's just, yeah. growing up as, as boys, you know, it always is something that attracts us. And so I always had that attraction to it. And I was planning on moving back to Hawaii after graduation. But when my uncle said, you should probably think about, you know, working in Portland, you know, they probably have a, a lot better system of retirement. Their their uh, career path would probably be a little stronger as far as making money. You don't have to work other jobs. So I kind of looked looked into that and ended up getting hired. It's a really difficult process to get hired as a firefighter, especially in a big city. And so it took about four or five years of testing for me to finally make it. Really? Wow. So before you Absolutely. even got hired, you just Yes, I tested. And what do you mean testing? Like so you take a huge test, a civil service test. And back when I, the first time I took it, I think we had about 8,000 people take that test. Oh, really? my gosh. And maybe for, you know, 70 positions, you know. So Jeez. so there was a definitely some um, rejection that I had to get through because I, I didn't um, get hired for my first three or four uh, departments that I tried. I tried Seattle, Portland, um, I think Boise. But and you, when you trying to get to the service fire service, you you just try and get hired wherever you can because it's yeah. so difficult. And uh, so th- after a few rejections, I kind of thought about you know some doing something else and working at the Multnomah Athletic Club as a trainer. This is where I met your dad and, <laughs> and uh, Kevin Gillum and a bunch of Jesuit gradu- graduates. <laughs> I met them through the Mac Club. But then I ended up finally getting hired in '95. But it was definitely not an overnight process. You know, wow. so that was. That was uh, humbling, but also rewarding when I finally got hired. Awesome. So, what's the like rookie experience like <laughs> as a firefighter? Uh, I'm kind of so like interested. Hazing so you get hired, and yeah. So, the like I was saying, the get, the hiring process is very difficult because of the amount of people that want it. So there 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 is a lot of uh, competition for it. But the process is fairly easy as far as what you do. There's a there's a standard test it's a civil service type of test common knowledge test and when you pass if you pass that then you go on to a uh, physical agility to make sure you have the um the physical tools to be to uh work as a firefighter is that then like going through a course yes yeah okay. usually usually it's kind of an a uh 
yeah, it's kind of been like an obstacle course yeah. kind of thing. But and then the last part, the most difficult part, is a, is a uh, um, interview process. And so, especially as young men, you guys will understand when you get you you go in front and get interviewed, and you've got you know maybe eight minutes to sell yourself, and there's you know yeah. five hundred people that you have you're up against, yeah. and just one little mistake will just set you down. And so that. Yeah is what was hurting me in, in my initial uh, hiring process, my interview, and I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it was something I had to work at. You have to l learn how to be able to talk about yourself without being too arrogant, yeah. you know, and, and really be able to uh, break through a comfort zone and, and be presentable. And so that was yeah. difficult. So now you're getting you asked to get interviewed. What's that? Now we're asking you to, inter <laughs> to get, yeah. do an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Things have what, do you, what do you think separated yourself from the rest of the pack? You know, I think I think what separated myself was because of the past failures, I was super um, uh, focused. And I let them know, uh, the panel know, that how focused I was. And I used my failures, and I, I looked at them as opportunities to grow, and I did. And so I think I came across someone that was super confident. And if I did, if they did choose me, I was going to be someone that was going to pass, go, get through training, and someone that was going to represent their their department or their city well. And so I think I really worked on how to do that without yeah. looking too arrogant, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what would you say you like most about being a firefighter? You know what the the, the most rewarding thing? I mean, going on calls and, and helping the community is super rewarding, but. To me, what I what stands out to me is the relationships that I have uh, been able to build and experience with the people I work with, and and most most time is our because we're such a big department. I think we have 800 firefighters, and so you get wow. to know people. And the thing th that to be successful, just like on a team, you have to be able to trust and work well with each other. And so you end up really, especially me as an officer, learning how to take people's. We're all so different and diverse, but. You, you take their strengths and weaknesses and be able to cultivate a team. And when you can get to the point where everyone is enjoying coming to work and enjoying each other's company, yeah. it, it becomes not like work. You know? So yeah. to me, that's the most enjoyable part of our job is, is who we work with and getting along with them. And it seems pretty similar to like being a part of a football team, Absolutely. right? That yeah. camaraderie. And yes. So it makes sense that. Everybody and has a role that. Right. Yeah. And so people that ha do experience, uh, have experience in athletics and being part of a team do excel in this kind of, mm -hmm. of uh, of you know career because of those reasons yeah and also people that are not used to that learn how to to, to uh, you know be a good team player because to be a good firefighter you have to be a good team player but also you have to be super knowledgeable about what you need to do and be able to think dynamically you know mm -hmm. and those are the things they don't they don't teach you you can go to you can you can go to school and classes to learn the trade but what they don't teach is how to handle things emotionally like yeah. you, they don't tell you. Like you don't, you can't take a class to like. Okay, when you f see your first death on the job, this is how you're gonna handle yeah. it because you don't know. And so I remember my first death on a job was probably my second day after training out on the line. You know, I saw um, a young child. I think he was 11 years old get hit by a bus, Jeez. and that was our first call. Well, your first call? Yeah. Are you? Oh my God. And so all of a sudden it hits you like this is real. This is real. You know, I remember my mouth getting dry and my stomach kind of turning as I seen this kid because he he wasn't alive and it was broad daylight and then we had to deal with it you know yeah and so that's when your training kicks in mm -hmm. and and I was worried because I did feel some strain and stress about it after you know when we got back in we put him we put the kid in the body bag and and we were getting back in the rig and we're like that was real you know no one yeah. I, I didn't know how to no one ever taught me what 
how to feel about that, and they can't do that. And so that, that becomes a, a personal thing on how you can compartmentalize, you know, seeing trauma like that. Is not. that something you think's just gotten better over time? Is absolutely, and I think I think uh, when you have a calling like I did, I think you're kind of wired a certain way. Yeah, you know that uh, you you're prepared to do it because you you kind of in, have that innate feeling that that's what you want to do. Yeah, and so maybe mentally I was prepared for it, and I and when I look back at my career, the the things that I've seen, the traumatic things that I've seen, is, uh, it almost blows me away. Yeah. Some of the things that I've experienced and. How can even go to bed at night? You know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> Are there any like stories you want to share? Do that kind of. You know what? I will share one with the one one of the crazier stories, and I have a ton of them. But this is yeah. super crazy. It's probably two years ago. Um, I was working in Southeast Portland, and we got a call in the middle of the day, where someone had scaled the telephone pole on 122nd and Stark, and he was on top of the telephone pole. And we get there, and, sh- and he's up there, and we're thinking, and there are high tension lines up there, about 10,000. Uh, bolts up and they're high tension lines and if he touches them he's going to die and so and we're 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 standing there under him and this is a a rare moment where you see someone he's alive when you're talking to him and i could see he clearly had a mental issue because he was what he did he scaled the telephone pole he was looking for attention and i could see i noticed he had a uh, hospital band around his wrists i'm like he probably just came from the hospital and he did and uh, he was ranting and raving about a, um, a custody issue he had with his ex and his kids. And so we were thinking, this is not going to end well, because we couldn't go retrieve him because of the high tension lines that he was straddling up on the telephone pole, and uh, clearly the height. So we can't throw a ladder up there because we electrocute ourselves with the metal ladder. So he is going to have to climb down, and he doesn't want to. And so we're thinking this is going to end really bad. It's middle of daylight, middle of the day, like I said, more and more people are gathering on 122nd. And the next experience we had was an explosion, like a transformer explosion. White light, we all hit the deck. I looked on the ground thinking he would, he'd have fell, and he didn't. I looked back up, and he, he, he got his legs caught up in the line, so he's hanging upside down. And he has 10,000 bolts going through his body. Oh my so God. he looks like he's living because he's moving around. He's hanging. And people are screaming at us to get him down. And but they have no idea he is, elect- he is, you know, he is a conduit of electricity. And so we're, we're trying to explain to him. And we're talking about a crowd of 50 to 100 that's growing now, wow. screaming at us. As this oh. guy is basically cooking up on the lines. Oh so we had to watch him for 20 minutes until he caught on fire. And, uh, and then we got him down, and he was probably in his you know, late 20s, and obviously he died, but it was a traumatic experience because for obvious those reasons, and, and we were actually talking to him, you know, and right then before. all of a sudden, yes. Wow. It was, it was pretty traumatic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those crazy, crazy yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you go through a lot of those. <laughs> is, there, um, is there good stories, too, like – Oh, yeah, what's like, like the I, best experience? Yeah, Man, like, uh, the, of course it's great stories. Yeah, Those are sure. brutal stories. But, yeah, you know, we – I remember uh, one fire we went to um, that we were in, and the southeast Portland where I worked at was the busiest station in the city, and I loved it. But it was very dangerous. And uh, – but there was one story I remember. We had a, a, a good fire, 
and uh, we're working at this fire. And for some reason, I looked over and I was upstairs and I could feel the heat coming down and I saw this wedding picture. And it was, looked like a wedding picture from the 80s, but it looked, it was one of those things like, at first, I had this instinct on grabbing it. So I grabbed this, this photo, which is a large photo, and I grabbed it before the, before the um, uh, second story caught on fire and I took it downstairs with me and went back upstairs. Anyway, long story short, I, I, after the fire, the family was out there, they lost everything. They lost their, their Christmas, they lost their Christmas toy, their presents. Most of their house burnt down, but for some reason this picture that I grabbed for them survived. And so I brought it out to her. I said, I'm sorry, it's the only thing I could grab in it. And it, I just look on her face because it was something that she could never replace. Yeah. And uh, there was, she was so thankful of this picture that I gave because it was her wedding picture. And I just remember, well, I'm so glad I grabbed that for her. And she, because she said I, w- I would have never, we would have never got this replaced. And so that made me feel really good that I, I brought that little bit of joy to her of this horrible time that they just experienced. And that's what she gravitated to. And that, for some reason, that, that little thing kind of sticks to my mind because it was a, one of those little victories. You know? yeah. yeah, are those things you kind of got to think of when you're going yeah. in the moment? Like Holding on to those. Yeah, like it's it's valuable crazy things, be, because like I think I mentioned it earlier to you guys how, you, how I have compartmentalized everything. And I don't think about things on a daily basis unless you guys ask me a question yeah. and, you know, a uh, uh, memory will come to mind. Mm-hmm. But I think that's uh, one of the ways that, you know, I can cope with, with the stressful and the traumatic things that I have seen and also the good things that I've seen. That I, I I really try and compartmentalize it, and so I don't you know it doesn't I don't think too much. Yeah. You know? have, you, yeah. have you saved a life personally? Like. Uh yeah yeah we've we've definitely done some, done some grabs, um, and that is the one thing that's crazy that that's what drives us when we when we get a call in the middle of the night we know there's a fire, because there's any 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 labor or line of work there's always an option to go to right if you want your car fixed or you want a restaurant anything anything that we do but for what we do we're it yeah you know there's no one else you can't you can't call anybody it's so yeah. when, when when they need help they call 911 that's us and so when the community calls for us that's that's our biggest mission and we especially saving someone's life or saving something something that is uh precious to them is, is what drives us right and so when we get that call in the middle of the night, no matter what time it is, that is we're so focused on, on doing that and the best we can. And so when we get there, it's such a dynamic situation when you have to see fire blowing out of a window and we know, we have, we know there's people trapped in there, we know that we have to go search a bedroom or something, and we're just uber focused. And so that's why trust is so huge in our line of work because we have to understand, because we, we're a, a small team and everyone has to perform their job or someone is gonna get hurt, you know, or, or worse. And so that's yeah. what's great about us. We just, you know, we we know what, what each other, we expect from each other, but also at the same time, pers- at a personal level, you know, we wanna make sure we're not that weak link. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So is everybody, everybody's living here in the station? Yeah, so what, okay. what we do, we just switched to a new work schedule here in Portland. We did a 24 on, 40 off schedule for 100 years and we just switched it in May and if we do 24 hours on we get three days off then we go 48 hours on and get three days off so we go one three two three so it's a really weird work dynamic right you work at a station this is where we work it's in our office so this is our office and our house 
so I have a bedroom and a bath, and I have a to- my toiletry bag, and so <laughs> we cook. You know, we have to be yeah. super domestic around the station. We do housework, you know, stuff like that. Kind of like being in like a fraternity house almost. Absolutely, a way, absolutely. Bunch of your friends, buddies, yes. and yes, that's pretty cool. One thing I'm really interested in is what your role is as a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. One, and then two, how you kind of made your way up to that. Okay, point. that's a good question. I um, I became a lieutenant probably nine years into my career, so 2004 is when I what I promoted. And so at what I do is I manage my team. And so right now we're just a single engine company. So it's myself and three other firefighters. Uh, when I worked in Southeast, we had a, you know, we had 10 people. And so, and I was, in, I was a lieutenant of a truck, which is a hundred foot aerial. You see those big long, long trucks going down the street. Those, that's a truck. The one we see, the, the one we see with fire hose, the fire engine. So we have different jobs. Just like a like a football team, and you know, we go to fire a truck has certain jobs, the engine has certain jobs, and so I was a truck officer for over 15 years. So that was my job there. But what you do is you manage y- your team, um, you make sure they're safe, you make sure their training is up to date. And like I said earlier, you know, I, for me on a personal level, I try and figure out, you know, what drives my individual. Pr- I really try and get to know my 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 people I work with individually on an individual note. Like I want to know what their hobbies are, where they're from, you know, what what they what their background is, so I can put them in positions that they will thrive in. And if they're weak in certain ones, we can make sure you know we get them stronger in that. So that that's one of my roles. And I'll, and for me, I always like to make sure the people I work with are are enjoying coming to work. So I'm trying to make sure the morale is always up. So yeah. I'm always somebody that always is super mindful of of everyone's where they are you know if I if someone's having a rough day or they're not themselves there's a reason for it so I I try and make sure you know I I uh, am mindful of that to make sure I try and you know keep everybody in a positive note because because life life gets in the way of a lot of things so that's kind of what my job is to be responsible for my workforce make sure they're healthy make sure they're having a having fun coming to work you know and uh, make sure the training's up to date, and just and what drove me to do that was, was because I, I think that's one of my strengths. You know, I'm never, I was never the, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I always figured that out, but I always I always think that I have a pretty good sense on, on people, and uh, and where to put them to make them succeed, and also, you know, trying to make them in, make them enjoy their experience. And so I think I'm I'm an officer that people I think like to work with because mm-hmm. of that. You know, I'm not just someone that is just, and I'm in my head's in the book, and I'm a rules guy. Yeah. You know, I'm someone that, you know, is thoughtful about, you know, their, their experience at work. Yeah. Cool. So I understand you work with a lot of the homeless, mm-hmm. a lot of your missions until, yes. you know, having to go out to them. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I know Portland has a pretty bad homeless problem Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. And you know that is such a uh, that's such a negative part of our, you know, of of our job. You know, is dealing with you know people that need help the most. It's I don't and I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but what's hard for us is to try and help people that don't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes um, the the public perception of what's happening isn't really what's going on. You know, from our experience, you know, the homeless most of the homeless people. The issues are with the addiction, drug addiction, you know, 100%. And we do paint a, paint a broad brush when we talk about, okay, well, it's a homeless community. But within that community, there is really different people. There are some people that don't want to be homeless. 
they have a certain they had something bad happened to them and now all of a sudden they lost their house and they have a family those people want to get out of that situation so they will take they, they those people are actually taking the services that we are providing and trying to get out of the situation but we call them houseless as well but then there's a houseless community that that's not what they want yeah they don't want to be left alone so they can do their drugs you know and live life how they want to live it yeah and so they have no real um, aspirations of getting off the streets unless we give them somewhere to go. Yeah, they're not just gonna stop. And, and they're not. They don't yeah. want to get a job, yeah. you know. And so it's a it's a totally different mindset when they don't want to help themselves. And yeah. for us uh, as first responders, it's super frustrating. And uh, that has really really affected our city. I mean, it's it's really hurt our city, as we all know, as as you know, long-time residents of our city, how much the perception of us, of our city has changed, you yeah. know, yeah, nationally. Yeah, you say it's amplified us. even more within the last couple of years? Oh, it's terrible. And was, do you think that's due to COVID or what's... No, I don't. I think COVID definitely had uh, a role in just affecting everyone's life. Um, but I just think the, um, uh, especially legalizing drugs um, uh, has, has hurt us, you know, and... Uh, and just kind of letting the homeless uh, situation grow. And uh, now that's, it's sad that that is our norm, you know, seeing uh, graffiti and seeing litter mm -hmm. and see businesses shut down. We're just used to seeing that, you know. I mean, what city, you know, can, will let someone put a tent up right in the middle of a sidewalk in a working yeah. city? You know? and, and yeah, you go downtown and yeah. they're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And especially now with, uh, with uh, mental health issues, you know, the violence and, and people feeling unsafe in the city, yeah. that's very warranted. And so that has definitely affected the livability of, of Portland in a, a non-favorable way for sure. And it hurts us to, uh, as first responders, because we experience it so much. And so it's, it's really affected morale big time. My mom runs a homeless shelter downtown and she says just over the years, it's just grown yeah. and grown and grown. And it's a, it's a different culture of, you know, it's very, yeah. um, uh, it's it uh, they're very entitled mm -hmm. you know they're not appreciative when we go and help them you know yeah. it's 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 a different feel yeah. it's definitely tough to see are there any solutions you believe are <laughs> i don't know that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's difficult we talk about yeah. it all the time but you know uh, that's what's so i think frustrating for all of us you know as you guys are including part of the community is that we don't see a plan in place you know that we believe in that's going to help yeah. you know, we're just kind of putting band-aids on issues and so that's why it that never gets better Right. Yeah. So if you don't mind, could we get into the story about kind of your 9-11 sure. experience? Absolutely. Um, one thing that we're very interested in, we I was like six months old during the time these guys weren't <laughs> even born. So I wasn't even born, yeah. We've seen, wow. we've seen documentaries, we've read articles, but we've never really been able to fully grasp. It's the feel, I think. What it was yeah. like being an American during that time. Right. Yeah. So if you could kind of get into like your perspective okay you know what that's a that's a that's a funny um that you bring that up because that was one of the worst events that happened in the history of america no question about it but at the same time that our country was so galvanized back in 2001 i mean there was there were uh, american flags on everyone's car you know yeah. and all of a sudden everyone's little issues with racism and these little problems didn't even surface anymore because we we all were galvanized in, in what was happening in our country. Yeah. And as bad as that was, it was a great time to be an American. It was unbelievable how appreciative people were of each other and more mindful of each other. And I got to go down there. It was such a crazy story. Was um, 
one of my friends who's a New York firefighter, his name was Billy Quick, and he would come up to Oregon because he was a mountain climber, and he wanted to climb Mount Hood, or one of his mountains he wanted to check off. He was going to check off all these mountains. And so he just, him and his buddy John, who was a cop in, in, in New York, came up to climb the mountain, and it, they came up in the summertime, and no one climbs the mountain, Mount Hood in the summertime, and a lot of it is because the snow melts and boulders come down. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, but but these guys are like, oh no, we're we're mountain climbers, you know. <laughs> so they were like, well, we're gonna climb your mountain. And we're like, okay, but you know, people don't really do that this time of year. <laughs> yeah. so, but being New Yorkers, they pressed on and <laughs> they came back the next day. Go, you guys are right. These rocks are coming down <laughs> big as Volkswagen. So, <laughs> so that's the friendship that started was when they came over, and so we kind of started hanging out. We'd go back to New York and march in their St. Patrick's parade, and they were just very uh, just. The brotherhood of, of the fire the fire departments just ran really strong. So it was a connection that we made. So cut to 9-11. So I'm watching on TV like everybody else before the buildings collapse. Planes are going into the building. And um, just like everyone else, and, and I was a new firefighter, and I think five years in. It was uh, 2006. Yes, I just going on my sixth year of being a firefighter. And um, after the collapse, so I'm watching on TV, and the first firefighter they grab an interview that survived the collapse was my buddy Billy. And he's covered in soot. And we're like, of course, Billy survived the collapse. He was a New York firefighter personified. This guy was right out of the movies, man. He was awesome. <laughs> just, just a rabble rouser. Anyway, so we were like, oh, man, we got to, and we just wanted to help. So myself and three other firefighters um, who knew Billy, uh, said, hey, we got to go back to New York and help. And unbelievably, we thought we were going to go back to New York and literally help firefighters, like, pick up their kids up from school, maybe go sh because we didn't think we were going to be working because those guys would have to stay at the station because mm -hmm. they lost so many firefighters and so many uh, fire engines and fire trucks. I think it was over 110 pieces of apparatus they lost. Just talk about it, rescues and trucks and fire engines. And obviously... They end up losing 343 firefighters. At the time, we didn't know how many they lost. Um, thousands were missing. But to put it in perspective, Portland, we have 138 firefighters on duty every day on three shifts. Wow. And they lost 433 on one day. Wow. So for us, that would that would, that would have wiped out half of our... That's an, a lot of people. I didn't yeah, realize you that. Put it in perspective, that right? It was that big much. of a percentage. Jeez. And so when it happened... They lost basically the whole shift that was working that day. Holy cow! Wow. And and we and so we, we get and so we were just wanted to help, right? And so at that time, like I said, nobody knew how many people were gonna be were gonna not be found, but we knew it was gonna be a big number. And so we went back to New York. It was crazy because everything was shut down. There was no flights leaving PDX. In fact, there was no no flying nationally, period. And so we go to the PDX to try and get back to Portland. We're talking about the 16th, the no, 14th of September. They're like, there's no, we're not flying. We're like, well, we want to get back to New York. Like, well, good luck, but we're not flying. We're like, okay, so so we're at the airport. Because we're just, we just didn't even think. We just jumped to the, went, drove to the airport, said we got to go to New York, right? So here we are, four of us. And so now our next plan is, should we, Maybe we should rent a car and drive to New York. So now we're on the phone trying to get a car to drive to New York. Wow. Just then, somebody comes up to us and goes, hey, are you guys, I heard you guys are trying to get back to New York. We're like, yeah. Well, we're from TWA. We grounded a plane here in, in PDX that was headed to Seattle. 
and it's sitting here on, on the tarmac, and we got to take it back to LaGuardia. Do you guys want on it? And we're like, well, yeah. So what just timing. by that grace of God that we got this flight back to New York. So we're flying back to New York like, oh, my God, we're, we're, we're heading back there, right? So we called Billy, and, of course, he's not home because he's, everybody who was a New York firefighter had to be at work because they called everybody back. So they lost all these fire engines, fire trucks. They, the whole shift of one area was gone. And so now they're backfilling, trying to get new fire engines. They, had, don't, have, they don't have radios or packs because it's a collapse. So, so logistically, they're trying to figure out how the city's going to run. So we figured we, well, there's something we can do to help. And we, by the, that luck, the luck that I was talking about, got back to New York. They pick us up. And Billy and we get there, and, the, and Billy had his friend pick us up, and he said, he picked us up, and he goes, Billy's going to pick you up in the morning. I'm taking you back to the big house. That was his station in Queens. And we're like, what are you talking about? Well, you guys, he's going to take you guys to the pile. That's what they called it. In the morning, we're like, are you serious? And he's like, well, yeah. When did you guys come back? Did you guys come back to help? We're like, well, yeah. But we didn't think we were going to have that kind of access, right? And so we're like, holy smokes, this is the real deal. We, so we landed at midnight, and uh, we tried to get some sleep. The station, was, it was just surreal because the station, it was, they were in shock because the city was attacked. Um, we, they didn't know if it was going to get attacked again. Thousands of people are missing. Hundreds of their, uh, their colleagues are missing, and everyone is just on edge. And we show up to this fire station in Queens, and all they can do is they thank us for coming to help. And we're just like, what? We heard you guys are going to the pile tomorrow with Billy. We can't go. We have to stay at the stations because we're so shorthanded that they're not letting us uh, in the search because the firefighters have to work because we're down thousands of other problems. Was it dangerous working oh, at the pile? It was crazy. In what way? Like It was so dangerous. It was the, I think it was more dangerous was because of the unknown, right? And so we're talking about two buildings that are 110 stories high each, and they collapsed. And so we're talking about an area of about about 10 acres that is just rubble. Oh and the rubble is so high, it looks like it's like 40, 50 uh, stories high. And it's just a huge, I feel like an ant crossing a, a street. That's how vast the, the, the destruction was. It's like, where do you start, right? Where do you start looking for people? Yeah. You know? So that's what it was. It was going through the rubble looking for people? Abs it cracks, and, and, and it was crazy. It was such rudimentary work that we had to, like, literally get these um, huge cranes, wrap chains around these I-beams just to lift them up so we would have voids to search in. And, sh and things are on fire, you know, and... Uh, there's people everywhere, uh, the ATF, the FBI, because it's a huge crime scene that we're like, this is a crime scene. We're like, oh. So, like, more and more things are coming to us. And we're like, again, you guys are probably breathing asbestos because these buildings are old and there's asbestos. So, so like, wear your mask. We're like, whoa. Just, and so we're, and so the, the, I remember the one thing that when we were trying to drive into, and the only reason why we got to go to the pile was because Billy Quick was on vacation. So if he wasn't on vacation, he would have been stuck at work. But since he was on vacation, he was volunteering his time to go in. <laughs> and so he's like, put your guys' uniform on. You guys come with me. And so he had this access. He, would just, he had access. And so he drove his personal car through all the uh, uh, barriers and through all the – and so we he took his personal car down to the site, and we jumped out there. 
And I remember looking at and not knowing what we're going to do. Where do we start? Like, how yeah. are we going to find anyone, you know? And like I said, I did feel like an imp. Well, like crossing the street. It was like I was so, it was so vast the damage. And so we searched for six days, didn't find anyone. We found body parts, you know. Um, but I just remember all the thousands of people that were around the perimeter as we walked through, because we couldn't park real close, and we would walk through, and they were, they were screaming at us, the firefighters, the rescue teams. And, and it was mostly families that had flyers of, of their loved ones that were missing in the buildings. And so they're just these hundreds of people just screaming at you behind these these barriers, and you're trying to ignore them. And Bill is like, just don't don't look at them, you know. It's because if you made eye contact with someone like I and I, I did, I looked at this gal. I think she's probably 12 years old, and she had this flyer, and she said, "Can you please go look for my dad?" So she gives me this flyer, and it's a picture of her dad. You know, he worked at this building, you know, on, on World Trade Center one. He's on 108th floor. He's in this as and that's what they were. They were just people wanting to give you flyers so you can look for their loved one. And it was just like heartbreaking. Oh. It was heartbreaking. But I just remember being, it was a surreal experience thinking, how did I, how am, am I the one that gets to be here? I'm sure you never would have imagined when you no, decided uh -uh. to become a firefighter. And, and how was, old were you? So I was, got hired 27, so I was 32 years old, 33 years old. Wow. Was this something a lot of the firefighters in the country did? Was no. It was, no, it, was, it, was wow. it was it was one of those things like like I said we were so unique because of Billy Quick who was an yeah. FDNY fighter and cut to 20 he died 9 years after that of mesothelioma from 9/11 yeah wow so I was the one he was obviously one of your yeah good and he was the one that we went down there with and searched with and so he ended up dying 9 years later um, because of uh, complications from the 9/11 you know um, disaster and because like I said he was on vacation so the whole time he was on vacation he just volunteered and was on that pile <laughs> Jeez. and so we would come back to the station of rest and the New York firefighters would be waiting for us like what'd you guys see you know asking us like the guys from yeah Oregon. the guys from New York because they couldn't go so they were asking the guys from Portland you know wow. how'd we do you know do you see any of our guys and what's it like and it was super uh it was super surreal. Yeah. It was a surreal experience. I bet. Wow. So you get back from that whole experience, and do you think that changed anything for you in terms of your career and, like, what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think, it, I think it did. I think it changed my perspective of an appreciation, you know, because um, those guys, when they left, um, I think they, they knew they, they weren't coming home. Yeah. They knew. And it, it was crazy because when they were going up the stairs in those buildings before they collapsed, um, you see footage of them in, in the uh, lobby before they're going up, shaking each other's hands. And we're like, they knew they wow. probably were coming down. And they went up those stairs to get people down. Like, no question. You know? And so just to honor them, you know, to honor them, I mean, we, when you come to work, it's like, you know, that, that's why firefighters are so respected within a community because of what they stand for, what they sacrifice. And it's real. Because yeah. I know for a fact, like when we go to a fire and we, we don't even think about like the consequences like of our, my family. And we just, it's like we're so mission oriented. Like we got to find, we, we heard she's in a be bedroom and 
that's all we do. It's like you don't even think about how dangerous it is, you know. And uh, and I think um, th that was an eye opener for me, that, like how real our job is. Like you can you you know you can die yeah, doing your right. job. And that's why it's important to have people that you trust around you. A absolutely yeah. right. And so do you have a family here? I do, absolutely. I have a family. I have a daughter who just graduated from college. What college? Uh, she went to uh, Nova Southeastern in uh, Fort Lauderdale, but she, before that she was at University of Alabama, Birmingham, softball player. And uh, now she's, she's going to stay in Miami. She wants to be an attorney, so I think she's going to go to law school next. Nice. And I got remarried, so I have a 10-year-old. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So what is it? Or do they have any stress about I think they do. They have a lot, but... But uh, when you're married to a firefighter, you kind of understand, you know, what you're getting into. Um, you know, we don't have a normal work schedule. Yeah. And uh, we don't have a normal job, a normal career. Well, it is normal to us. But so they, the family understands you're going to be gone a lot and you're home a lot. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we see. I mean, I never go home and tell my, my wife and kids, oh, you know what we did today. I don't yeah. even do that. If yeah. they ask me, I'll say something. And then, uh, then I realized oh, I might have said too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just one of those things. But I, I love it, and I'm actually really close to retiring, about a year and a half away from retiring. Oh, wow! Congrats! congrats. Thank Good you for you. I need it. Wow. Yeah. So listen, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I kind of want to ask, like, if you had, like, what's one lesson Ooh, your yeah. job has taught you that you kind of like everyone to learn from? I guess. I tell you what, that's a really good question, Max. Um, what I've learned and have seen is that how precious life is. And I know it sounds so cliche, but things can change in anyone's life and it's so quickly, you know, mm -hmm. to yours personally or to someone you know. Um, and so to, to never take the, your life for granted or people you know and love for granted as well, because things can change so quickly with no rhyme or reason for it. And so uh, we're all on a clock and don't even know it. Yeah. Right. And so. Just never take it for granted and always do the best you can and appreciate uh, what you can and the people around you, you know, yeah. let them know. Um, uh, always be very vocal on, on your feelings uh, because you just never know when it's your last. And take advantage of your life, man. That's sure. great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. You're, uh, you're an inspiration. Uh, it's great that. getting to hear your story and thank you for your service, you know. Firefighting every day for us. So. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's my pleasure, man. I appreciate yep. that. Um, so, yeah, thank you for hosting. Awesome. Thank you, thank everyone you. who joined this episode. We'll see you next All right. Thursday. Thank you, man. All right. Hope, hope it was okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, good.